0: Go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com,
1: Thewellnesscoach.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christophe, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Lawrence Tam. I'm Damien Christophe, and this is the Wellness Guys Show. It again. Oh, you just want to do it twice in a row, didn't you? <laughs> twice in a row. <laughs> well, the three of us is the Wallace Guys show. We show dedicated to bringing Wallace and lives, and Brett Hill is not with us. Well, he's in here, he's here with with us in spirit. The power's out in Adelaide, uh, you know, in the cave, and uh, unfortunately, he's just uh, not be able to record with us today.
2: Not enough power. Not
1: enough not power enough in power. Adelaide. There
2: are restrictions. Got too wet. Got too wet. Hey, LT. Um, massive episode last week. With, oh. uh, with Leanne Anders, and um, and we will not be um, un- underdone with this episode coming up too, because uh, this incredible woman, I spent some time with in Ikaria with Marcus. We went on our Ikarian longevity tour. And uh, and I was blown away. We've obviously spent some time with this beautiful woman in uh, at breakthroughs and at wellness summits. We've had a lot to do with Hillary, and uh, and I thought it'd be a wonderful idea to bring Hillary on to um, our podcast to not only discuss resilience, but I suppose also um, how how you can actually rise from the ashes like a phoenix because that's pretty much what Hillary's done. So um, we're going all the way over the west, um, over to West Australia. We're going back in time um, to in my former west home. Australia. What are you talking
1: about? Back in time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is. We're two and a half hours behind or whatever it is, two hours behind. Hillary or three hours behind Hillary King Sullivan. It's great to have you on our podcast. Welcome to the Wellness Guys.
3: Oh, thank you very much for inviting me, guys.
2: Hilary, it's a big story yours. Um and it's hard to know where to start because you could start at any point in your life, and uh, and we could talk for thirty minutes, and we've only got thirty minutes. Probably now it's given my intro is a little bit long, uh, probably a little bit less than that. But uh, it'd be lovely to know how you got into wellness and how you got to this point in your life uh, where you know where you are right now. We'll we'll get to that point. But uh, how did you start in this wellness thing?
3: Well, I guess I've always had a real keen interest in nutrition. Um, probably as a teenager from an unhealthy weight loss perspective, but an interest in nutrition I had. And I came across Cindy O'Meara's work and read her book. And I guess that just snowballed and I just continued to read more. And then I came across the wellness guys and Quirky Joe. And and I attended my first breakthrough last year, the first one you had. And not to correct you at all, Damien, but I haven't been to a summit. Coming from the west, <laughs> I only did the breakthrough. Um, oh, it
2: just feels like you've been surrounding us. You know, we've been surrounded by you. <laughs> for a long time.
3: So did yeah. uh, did
2: you slip up on that one? Sorry about my yep. facts.
3: There, that's all right. Um, yeah. So, so that was how I came came across it all. I guess. And just, you know, when you've got a young family, you want to do the best thing by them. So you do, when they start eating, you you really look at what you're doing and you question everything.
1: You know, um, Hilary, I remember the very first time you were at the Wellness Breakthrough, and I remember your story uh, was the one that captured my memory from, from because it was an incredible story and, and, and the things that were happening to you and, and how you, I love to kind of spend the podcast talking a little bit about you know what transpired and also how you dealt with it because i think it's um it's really relatable to a lot of different people um especially when they're when they focused on in, in health and also in their families as well um could you tell us your you know your story regards to your husband and you know what are some some of the circumstances that led up to that point and then we'll talk a little bit about we'll just start teasing out some of the, the thought process that was happening for you and the decisions that you had to make
3: yeah yeah sure so Um, My husband was diagnosed with a grade four brain tumour. He was 55 years old at the time. And I guess it came as a real shock because for the last eight years, we had eaten perfectly (laughs) in our minds. We had eaten really well. Um, But probably to the neglect of family and friends, we wouldn't go out to barbecues. Heaven forbid they might use canola oil to... (laughs) oil or barbecue so i guess our life wasn't balanced um but we just thought we were doing everything right so so i just want to be
1: very clear yeah. you were avoiding you were avoiding certain like you didn't go out as much when, and you were at or at that point before even oh, the diagnosis okay. you guys were actually already in this in the wellness space in a sense and you were doing things right for that- about,
3: yeah for about eight years we had been making and eating our own kefir. For the last four years, we'd been completely grain-free. We were quite strict paleo at one point and then sort of reintroduced our our kefir and dairy. Um, Peter found out that when he didn't eat um, the sourdough bread, because we stopped eating that because we were grain-free, but he found his metabolism shut down and his fingers and feet went really cold, so he was able and reintroduced bread a couple of times a week and that just kept him feeling better. So we went quite strict and then we sort of eked things out a little bit. Um, yeah, so pretty shocking news to find out that, that he had a brain tumour and that it was it was grade four. So it had gone from the scan one day to there's a slight lesion on the brain, which I had no idea what that meant. It just was a little white line and no one knew what it was. Um, And we saw a, a neurologist a couple of days later and I remember he took me aside as we left so that Peter didn't hear and told me the best outcome would be if this was MS. And I remember driving home thinking, in what universe does this man live thinking the best outcome is MS? Mm. um and of course the very next week another scan showed a large mass and in his universe ms was way better than brain tumor
1: wow so So one of the things sorry damien i would love to just have a follow question here because i know that this must have crossed your mind because for any of us who are spending a lot of time in, in the wellness space or at least dedicated, you know, thinking they're eating clean and eating well and, and, you know, have, you know, exercised and, and did all those things that, you know, were perceived to be right, quote unquote, right. Um, mm-hmm. This must have been a shock to you and your family. What, what was, what was the thoughts that were going through? Was there anger? Was there resentment? Like what was going through your minds?
3: Yeah, it's quite fascinating. So Peter's quite an extraordinary person and sorry, was, Um he, He's very pragmatic. So with every step of the news, you know, he's just very sensible, very pragmatic, okay, what's the next step? Where do we go to from here? And it makes it so much easier for everyone around you when you have that that attitude. So it was very, very easy for me to just follow his lead And every day we'd come home from hospital or specialist appointments and having homeschooled for the last 10 years, it was easy to sit down with the boys and just have that very straight, very open discussion. This is what the doctor said and this is our next step and this is where we go to from here. Um, At no point did either of us think, why is this happening to us? What have we done or what could have we done to avoid this? It was just, this is the way it is and how do we how do we move forward from here
2: hillary um how old were the boys at that time?
3: Oh, um, <laughs> the boys were fifteen and sixteen at the time
2: yeah well, that was a I, I mean I knew the answer, but uh, it was yeah. good for you to be able to tell the, the thing is the reason why I asked that is because my son is sixteen right Jackson's sixteen mm-hmm. and uh you and I spent time with him when he was fifteen years old in um in Ikaria, and now he's yeah. 16, and I kind of go, oh, my gosh, like how how does a young man or two young men um, yeah. reconcile that in their head? What what sort of things go through their mind with that shift, that transition they're about to lose their father? Um, you know, what, how, how do they cope? How did you well, help them?
3: I guess each step of the way we really didn't think, well, I didn't think that Peter was going to die. <laughs> so um, he was... He had everything going for him. He was 55, he was young, and he was fit. He was really healthy. He was supported by a loving family, and and the facts show that if you're highly educated, your, your chance of survival is a little bit better. So he kind of had everything going for him, and we knew 50% of people with this type of brain tumour don't make it to 12 months after diagnosis. So we had it in our head that we had this 12-month finish line, like, at twelve months, you're going to get past this because you've got everything going for you. That means you've got a greater chance of making it to three years, and so we just set things in motion from then. We decided we were going to take an overseas trip, and and we just we made plans for three years, mm. but um, it didn't didn't work out that way. Peter lasted eight months after he was diagnosed. Um, so the boys the boys were little champions really like when I was in hospital Hamish was very practical and and he made sure the house stayed clean and they did their school work and he did all the dishes and and my younger son um was quite the different son he would make sure you ring me when you leave the hospital so I know what time you're coming home and then he would have the kettle on and a cup of tea waiting for me when I got home and and would just talk through everything that happened during the day So they both approached it very differently, but both are very helpful, very supportive, um, very resilient little beings. You know, I'd love
1: to know that period of time when you just sort of mentioned a couple of insights. So where you you decided to take an overseas trip, like what other decisions or um, plans changed for you and your outlook on life for the whole entire family Um, from the moment of diagnosis um, what, what shifted for you guys? Like, how did you change your decision-making and, you know, what was more important? Like, wh- you know, I'm sure your levels of importance change or your values change, you know, could you just talk us through some of the things that were going on in your life during those few months?
3: Sure. Sure. So about three months before Peter was diagnosed, I said to him, oh, the boys are now 15 and 16. It's a perfect time because Peter was working for himself. It's a perfect time for you to reduce your hours and back off and I'll re-enter the workforce because they're transitioning into men, you know, and this is your job now. It's time for me to step back. So we had made this big future plan and then three months later that wasn't going to happen. So we stepped back and, you know, we reassessed. As I say, we planned the overseas trip that didn't happen but think as we reassessed along the way like three months after surgery the MRI showed that the tumor had returned and it had a small friend a large friend quite alongside it so then we didn't go overseas we we flew to Adelaide and we spent a week with all of Peter's family and his older children Um, and then we came back and the The trip to Adelaide wasn't actually a holiday for Peter. It was quite draining, quite emotional. Um, So then we we spent a couple of days in Margaret River instead as a family and spent that time together for him to relax and be in nature and do the things that he loves doing. Um, So our thought process was just everything kept getting cut short and time kept getting taken away from us, Um, but we just – had to redefine our goals every time. So instead of going overseas, we went down south, which was a couple of hours drive. Like we had to um, make everything around his capability, which, you know, he was losing lots every day because the brain tumour presses on different centres of the brain. So every day it's a, ooh, what's going to happen today? And, um, yeah, when we were down south, he lost complete mobility down the left-hand side of his body and couldn't actually walk. Um, so, yeah, we had to cut that sh- a little bit short as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, full on. Now, you did eventually get an overseas holiday and you did go to Machu Picchu and then to i um, Tell me about that because you did decide that you are still going to have that overseas holiday with the boys and experience. You're going to do all those sorts of things. And so you went to Machu Picchu with the girls from Up for a Chat. I um, had a wow of a time. There were some very challenging things that happened there, of course. Um, and then came to Icaria. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that experience too, and how that uh, has then gone to shape where where your thinking is right now, Hilary?
3: Yeah. So I guess um I was lucky enough to to have the finances to book the overseas trip, and rather than um doing it as husband and wife, I decided to take the boys with me, but I made that decision to do the little Machu Picchu jaunt on my own. Um, so that was a bit of a first, doing something for myself or putting myself first um, before the kids. And then, um, But then to include them in the second half of the trip and taking them uh, to Ikaria for the longevity retreat was, was something that was really important to me because I know that they need really good Male role models in their life, um, and obviously the wellness guys and Marcus, and and you know you couldn't ask for better role models there. So um, we did. We just we really had the best time. We've had a really close bond, I guess, ever since homeschooling, and then with losing Peter, we've become really close friends, and it's just a very um, relaxed. Kind of relationship, and they they really loved their time in career. They they did both bond really well with both yourself and Marcus, and it was and the other all the other members of the the group. It was fantastic. It was really lovely to see them in in adult roles and just conversing with people on their own. And yeah, I really enjoyed it.
2: Uh, yep. That's great, Hilary. Just um, having been a food Nazi, then being, being <laughs> yeah. faced with um. You know, with very traumatic circumstances with Peter and, you know, having your life kind of flipped upside down. What, what, what sort of things did you learn in the culture um, that, that I suppose you did differently um, uh, and, you know, to what they do in Ikaria? To the then, you know, how did you adjust your life, you know, coming back to Australia after that? Because food Nazi, dropping it all, picking some bits up with you. What, what did you do? Like, because they live a long time in Icaria, right? Yeah, and, uh, and they're not strict with their food. What, what do you, What do you take away from all of that?
3: Um, I learnt, I learnt a lot more balance with my food, and I, you know, like I no longer see chickpeas as the devil. Um, and I think to be more relaxed, like if I if I choose to eat um bread or beans or whatever, to either really think. About the choice I'm making and choose to eat them and enjoy them rather than choose to eat them because I want them and then hate myself afterwards so there's more enjoyment associated with my food now and a lot of the time I choose really well because it just makes me feel better
1: you know it's an incredible thing to be able to see um, you know the the strictness because I mean I mean we are in it's kind of a different uh, type of I guess opinion than from what we've been preaching a lot of times we you know most people come from uh, listen to the wellness guys or you know that type of show they we, you know we're telling them what to eat what not to eat da, da, da. but we've been you know over the last five years we've been really Conscious to, to make sure that there's to say that there's no one way, you know, there is multiple ways of, of living and, um, and for you to, you know, share that with the audience to see it from a totally different perspective to take away from the strictness to, to something a bit more loose and to be able to enjoy food, like the enjoyment of food and actually seeing it from a different lens. Um, it's, it's a great context for people to kind of see it. Um, but on that same note, um, in terms of the viewpoint and context, your kids, um, they're now 18, 19 now. Um, mm. Tell us a little bit about how they see the world now. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, I think it's always difficult. I mean, I can only imagine, right? I, I don't know. And I can only imagine from through their lens um, how they see the world. How are they adapting to the world? And, you know, ha- are they seeing it differently? Are they making choices that are, might be different than some of their friends because of what's happened? <laughs>
3: yeah yeah definitely um they're both i guess they both find it quite difficult to um socialize with peers of their own age mm. um they're quite sort of old souls in a way um probably from their experience um but they both they both have a a far better balanced view to to food and nutrition um than than I did or have in the past, but they both make really good choices. Um, And they both work and they make choices about um, just really doing what they enjoy doing. So my eldest studied IT because that was kind of his passion and he took a few jobs and realised actually this is what I enjoy doing in my time off at home. I don't enjoy doing it as work. Um, and he now is doing something completely different. He works in a garden centre because he wants to be outdoors and working physically and being active during the day because in his downtime he likes to sit on his computer. Mm. Um, So he's chosen an active job to to balance his life. Um, So it's interesting that they're both just following their passions and what they enjoy doing. Um, and just
1: trying to figure it out, right? They're eighteen, nineteen. Let's face yeah, it; yeah. like, there's so much life oh. ahead of them too. But it's such an amazing thing the for you. crazy kids too. It's so good. Really, yeah. It's so good to hear. Like, to, um, I think that's where we get stuck. And I, I know I've been down this path many times, where you know I've just done things because I thought that was what I was supposed to do or expected of me to do. And yep. I guess when you face mortality like that, um, you know, you you start to realize that hey, like. You you get you have a choice. You have a decision and a choice every single day to choose to do what you want to do or not. Uh, that's always a choice, and uh, so that's a really cool insight to see that that these kids are now taking that and actually starting to do that. And who knows, right? You know, who knows what's going to happen in their twenties and thirties and forties uh, and the decisions that they're going to make.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They um, they really won't do. Um, things just because it's expected of them or, you know, because people conceive it's the right thing to do. They will do what's the right thing for themselves every time. Um, But, yeah, they're quite fascinating. Like my mum um, is, you know, just on her own because the family have left the house for the Christmas holidays and my son works out near her and so he's popped around every day after work to sort of check up on grandma and make sure she's okay and, you know, lift the heavy gas bottle for her over here and fix the pool over there. And um, and I didn't even know. Five days had gone by and I spoke to my mum and she said, oh, it's so lovely to have Hamish pop round every day. I was like, what? <laughs> so he does, he does this of his own accord, not because he had to, but because he genuinely just wanted to. And um, yeah, I'm really proud of both of them. It's
2: really great. It's really great. I, when you mention when you mention that, I think think of the boys and go, yeah, I can imagine the boys doing that sort of stuff. It's good, Hamish. Hey, <laughs> Oops, sorry, I just keep my chair. That's just fantastic. <laughs> um, when you got back from uh, from Greece, um, I heard a rumour that you started walking to work. Now it's a long way for you to walk to work, and uh, <laughs> and it's not generally that cold in Western Australia. How far are you walking to work these days, Hillary?
3: Uh... So, I don't actually walk every day. I just want to dispel that myth, but um, I walk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when I heard that every day, I went, oh no, I don't do it every day. Um, So, I walk as often as I can to work. So, most weeks, I do it once or twice a week um, because it's about seven and a half Ks one way to get there. Um, but what I've I've designed, because the, the bus is only about a 200-metre walk, but I can walk to the train station and get in 4Ks. So I I often catch the train in, so I get a, a four-kilometre walk each way, each day, and then, yeah, I'll walk the whole way um, when I feel like it. So that's one thing I've learned is not to be really strict on myself about things, you know. Um, I don't set down really firm rules about what I want to do or what I'm going to do. You know, I said I want to walk to work and I just sort of said so long as I do it once a week I'm happy and I generally make it twice a week because I wake up super early and go, yep, I've got time, I'll do it today. But I don't set my alarm every day with that goal in mind.
1: Hmm. It's well, not nice. you, you know, Leanne, you, uh, sorry, sorry, I'm so still stuck. <laughs> in Leanne, Sorry about that. Um, you, you've been, cause I was thinking about the two of you at the, the wellness breakthrough. And so you've been through the wellness breakthrough and you've been through the Korea experience and yeah. both of the experiences were instrumental for you, but you saw it in a different context. You know, you were, that was, um, you know, obviously a context after your husband passed away. What, what was the difference between like, how do you think it would have been different? experiencing though, and also Machu Picchu as well. How do you think your experience would have changed um, if um, your husband didn't pass away? Like, do you think that there was, a, that you took away something completely different because of um, your yeah. husband passing away?
3: Well, this is quite interesting because if he hadn't passed away, I probably wouldn't have gone to the breakthrough or on the other trips either um, because I was a, a stay-at-home mom, um the the income was what Peter earned, it was family income and Peter never saw it as his but I always saw it as he earned the money, it was his money and I would never um, choose to spend that money on myself um, for any reason. So I guess, um, yeah, I wouldn't have gone to the breakthrough. It was really only because... I had the money there, and it was my choice to spend it, and and I was deciding to to start putting myself first.
1: Did you find that um, prior to that experience? I, I mean, you've done like you know, th- th- you know, these last th- I guess two years that you've had you know traveled quite a bit, but not traveling for traveling's sake, but it's to put yourself in experiences that you might or not have experienced yourself. And do you think that you know that has changed the way you saw the, see the world, and even in yourself, like even discovering yourself uh, within these. Um, it's not just a going away, right? It's just being able to find, having a time and space to evaluate your life and what it means to you. Did you find that that happened for you?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in Machu Picchu in Peru with the girls, um, I suffered quite badly from, from altitude sickness, and I was unable to do two of the walks um, and one of them, the entire group did. And so I was the only person that didn't do it. Um, and so that that was really, really hard because <laughs> um, I was by myself for the whole day. Um, and I was well looked after and I was taken to a to a museum and so forth. But I think the time that I was by myself, I probably... Cried for the entire day, um, what were you just thinking about? that everyone. <laughs> well, I guess I was crying because I was I felt like I was I was on my own, mm. and that the entire group was experiencing something quite magical, and that they they were going to really bond over this. And when they came back, that I would be really on the outer mm. and no longer part of the team. Um, and it wasn't until I came away and maybe um, when I was in Europe and I was back with the boys and reflecting on my time in Peru and I thought to myself that um, I was I was okay on my own. You know, I was actually fine having the whole day by myself apart from, you know, feeling left out or feeling upset. But everything was fine and everyone came back from the the walk and you know they were all happy to see me and they all gave me a hug and they all said that they talked about me when they were there and and that I was still very much included and inclusive um and I realized that it was an opportunity for me to tell the boys that I'm okay on my own because some of the times I feel like they don't do things because they don't want to leave me by myself so it was an opportunity for me to explain to them that I'm okay on my own and they they need to step forward and do what they have to do and not stick by me. Because
1: um, I was, I was going to was... ask you that too, that challenge. I mean, like just from an analogy point of view, for you to be left alone on in on, you know, Machu Picchu where everybody's gone away, is, was there any point yeah. that you sort of felt the same way that was happening in your life, that sooner or I later did. your boys was leaving, you know, you know, your husband has passed on, and like you, there's got to be that feeling of like, I'm alone, I'm not experiencing what, the, what other people are experiencing.
3: Yeah, and I totally felt that ever since Peter passed away that that was exactly how I felt, that mm. everyone I know, all my friends, my entire circle, they're all married. And I just thought they're all on top of the mountain, they're all married, and I'm just kind of now stuck down here, mm. you know, and and where do I go to from here? What do I do next? Um, so I, and then the lesson I came away with from a was that, I need to now just sort of put myself out there and join groups or clubs or take a dance class or take a language class or do something where I can create a new circle of friends or yeah meet new people people that aren't married. <laughs> <I guess.
1: laughs> that's that's challenging. Like it's it's brave. It's, it's to, yeah. It's tough. I it's can all... reinvention, isn't it? It's a whole other
3: level
2: of reinvention. <laughs>
3: It is. It is. I'm always kind of on the cusp, you know, like my kids are 18 and 19, but they still live at home, mm. and we're kind of best wouldn't friends. They?
2: I, I would if I was uh, being looked after by a mum that was so <laughs> would, Not that my mum's not. I mean, you know my mum. You met my mum. But, uh, you know, why would you up. want to leave a good thing? They're, they're not going to go. you got them until about no. 30 Hillary.
3: I know, and we're like best friends and, you know, they, they include me in everything and they want to go here and they ask me out there and, you know, and and we we think of each other all the time. You know, we're always considered if someone's coming home late, you know, do you want me to pick up dinner or is there something I can get? And, you know, we're always including each other So, and I love that and I love that sense of family and companionship but there's a little bit of me that also is like, oh, It'll be nice when you leave, and I'm on my own, and I can do my
1: own. <laughs> you hear that voice? You hear that voice? This, <laughs> Sorry, boys, this is uh, a not Listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: uh, yeah. uh, Hilary, I think there's there's so many different things there that you go through. Everything from you know dealing well with grief, and and then moving on, and then getting life going again, and then re yourself and trying to find your place. You know, particularly and maintaining your closeness with the boys. Um, and still providing them with role models to ensure that they have a safe transition into adulthood and manhood, um, I think you 've done an amazing job and, and one of the reasons why we wanted to get you onto this podcast is just to you know speak through that story because everyone has a, a little story of their own, but you know there 's events that uh, can take your breath away and, and, and many of the things that you spoke about today take your breath away because they 're enormous, and people will just go, "Oh my gosh." My husband died of a branch and oh, my gosh, left with two boys. Oh, my gosh, homeschooled. Oh, my gosh, went to Machu Picchu left by yourself. Oh, my gosh, still travel around Europe. Oh, that's just enormous, you know, so there's all these big things. So congratulations, Hilary, on what you have achieved and what you do continue to achieve, and um, and you are a shining light. You do you do some amazing things, and particularly for your boys, and people do look at you and go, wow, how does she do that? You know, she's an amazing woman. So thanks, Hilary, for,
1: uh, for being part of today and, and for sharing your story with us.
3: Oh, thank you very much for having me on. It was really nice.
1: Yeah, it's an incredible story. And you just basically tell tens of thousands of people that you're single. So, um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, right. Facebook.com forward slash
0: human.
1: And you know the backstory everything. So that was awesome.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, um, what Damien said was just incredible. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Um, I've just... I just love hearing the, the, the story that you, the inspiration that you leave a lot of people here from uh, on this podcast, just listening to this and, and the, and the story that, you know, how you raise your boys. And I think that they're going to be turned out to be amazing men. And so it would be, it would just be great to hear the story, uh, you know, five ten 10 years from now and see, you know, what they're up to because of their mom. So, um, guys, yeah. you know, I hope that you enjoyed this particular podcast in this episode. Yes.
2: Just before you close up, I yeah. just want to say, if anyone wants to come on the retreat, you can come on the retreat. It's, you've got to go to 100 com and check it out because uh, you'll see great highlights real there. You see pictures of Hillary there. You'll then get to know what she's like and, and, and everybody else as well. So uh, if you want to come on the retreat, go to 100 com with Marcus and I in uh, June, July 2017. Thanks, yeah. mate.
1: No worries. And don't forget the Wellness Breakthrough too as well, which is coming up uh, in February as well. So that's the com. Join us um, on Facebook. Uh, like us there and uh, share this podcast with your friends and families and other strangers. you think need a wellness update? Subscribe to us on iTunes and while you're there, please give us a great rating and a comment there too as well. Until next week, we can create a wellness to allies, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on the Wall Sky Show.